Man, isn't it easy to feel like after singing that song, like, you're like, okay, bring it on, world. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I love the lyrics of that song. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I don't think this is going to be a very effective introduction now. Uh, uh, what causes your fears uh, to just make a pit in your stomach whenever you think of them? For some people, it's like the fear of heights, right? For others, the, it's spiders or snakes, or maybe it's a combination snakes on an airplane, right? That brings fears for people. Uh, for some, it's just flying on an airplane, whether there's snakes or not. Uh, or maybe, maybe uh, something that brings a pit to your stomach is having, maybe, has anyone ever had this dream? You have to go take a test and you're unprepared for it. And you're like, and, and, and you're naked when you go into the, you know what I'm talking about? No one's ever had that dream besides me? Okay. Uh, TMI. Uh, wh- what would bring so much terror in your mind that you would wish for death? And what do we do? when that kind of terror comes upon us. Psalm 55, I think, is really helpful when those types of distresses are in our lives. Not so much of the, hey guys, we've done the mathematical work and the plane is fine, and so you're going to be okay on the plane, and so so maybe it might be a little bit of an irrational fear. Not, Not so much that kind of distress, but like actually when the real things that actually cause lots of distress what do we do then when those things come upon our lives? I think that's what Psalm 55 is going to be helpful for us. Let's see how God is our hope and the God who delivers, even in the most agonizing trials of life. That's what we're going to see in Psalm 55 this morning. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to, to open it to Psalm 55. We are in our, our, psalm, our Summer in the Psalms series. And, and remember, there's 150 Psalms in the Bible, um, but, but even the book of Psalms is actually broken down into five mini-books. And so we're looking at, at the mini-book of Book 2 of the Psalms. And, and a reoccurring theme that we see week in and week out is that there are great distresses. There's big reasons to be distressed. And yet the Psalms regularly and consistently point us to even in the distress of life, we can put our hope and rest in God. And and so if every single week you're like, Brian, it's the same theme. Yeah, it is actually. All of book two of the Psalms is that theme. And it's good for us that we need to hear it again and again. Because if you guys are like me, I've been told, by my family. I'm a little hard-headed. And so what seems obvious to other people takes, takes me a little bit longer. And so I'm just assuming everything's, that's true with you all too. And so we need to continue to let God's word uh, refine our hearts when trials come. And so if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Inside your sermon notes, actually, we have Psalm 55 printed out. That's where we're going to be looking at this morning. So, so whether you have a Bible or not, you're able to look at that, and that's going to be helpful for us for our entire time together. But also remember, we are doing a verse of the series. We are working on memorizing a verse so that when trials are happening in our lives, we're not like, now what was that thing that Pastor Brian said that one time? No, we have God's word on the tip of our tongue, ready to recite it to our minds to help us in the midst of that. And one of those things that we're doing is we're memorizing Psalm 7120. 
And so it's on the screens. Let's all say it, not to yourself, to each other of how important this is. So let's all say Psalm 7120 together. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. What good hope there is. Let me pray for our time in God's word together. Lord, we know that life is stressful. We know life is hard. And we know that there is not a soul here on this earth that can live life here unscathed by the fallenness of our world, by our own fallenness of our own sin. And so, Lord, we look to you for hope. We pray, Lord, that what we just sang, that, that all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Lord, we pray that would be the reality of our hearts and our lives, not just the two minutes that we sang that song. So, Lord, would you use Psalm 55 to make that a reality in our hearts by your spirit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me read. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read not all of it all at once. We're going to just kind of break it down in sections, but let me give you the roadmap, okay? So if nothing else you walk away from this morning, this is what we want you to walk away with. Here's what I think uh, David, who wrote the psalm, here's what I think his big idea is. Cast your burden on God because the secret to surviving close attacks isn't running away or vengeance but trusting in God's delivering power. Cast your burden on God because the secret to surviving close attacks isn't running or violence, or another way of saying that is it's not fight or flight, it is trusting in God's delivering power. And so we're gonna look at that in kind of three different ways. David's plea for mercy in the first eight verses David's attacker in the second half, and then David's hope, which is our hope in the last part. But let me read the first eight verses of our passage together. Uh, Psalm 55 begins like this. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a mascal of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me and I say oh that I had wings like a dove I would fly away and be at rest yes I would wander away I would lodge in the wilderness I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest well this is David's plea for mercy here Either David was a terrible person who never got anything right, and we know that's not the case, or every single occasion in his life was met with prayer to God. 
It's amazing how many different psalms David wrote. And it's amazing how many, how many different psalms are actually really different from each other and yet still directed to God. So there isn't a situation in David's life and therefore we could also say there's not a situation in our lives that is too small or too big to bring to God. If it is worth stressing over, it is worth giving to God in prayer. So here in Psalm 55, David is crying out to God. And, and it gives the impression that he's been crying out to God for a while, or, or that this situation is so intense that it's almost unbearable. It's, it's so bad he's restless, he's moaning in his body over it. Right? You, can, you, know, you can almost picture someone who's so sick to his stomach. He is restless and, and tossing back and forth in his bed and moaning in the anguish that he feels. Not necessarily from a virus, but simply because of the situation he finds himself in. Have you ever felt sick to your stomach from something that you've been involved in? You know exactly what David feels like. This isn't food poisoning. This is someone who's against David. And they are acting out against David, not on accident, actually on purpose. They are deliberately doing harm to David. Uh, the person is dropping trouble upon David like an anvil to the head with threats that bear a grudge against David. In fact, look with me at verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 55. David fears for his life. It's like the worst nightmare, except that it's not a nightmare, it's coming true. So if you've ever had one of those night terrors and you wake up sweating because it seems so real, if you've ever had a nightmare where you wake up from it angry and afraid from what happened in the nightmare, but then only to find out it wasn't a nightmare, that it actually was like your yesterday. Like house burglars, these robbers were entering into his soul, verse 5 describes. You've heard the flight or fight mechanism in our brains. Well, when something is terrible, we either want to fight or flee as quickly as we can. And we see in verses 6 to 8, David wants to flee. He says, and I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would, wand, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find shelter from the raging wind and tempest, he says. He doesn't want to just leave the room. He doesn't want to just leave the conversation. He wants to leave the city. He wants to flee the country and never return. And by fleeing, David thinks that he can find safety and shelter from the raging storm of this person. It is natural for us to want to run away, to, to just escape from the difficulties of life. Right? That's why so many people uh, veg in front of the TV at night, just simply to, to escape from the pains of work or all the, the overwhelming mounting pressures that they feel. That's why many people turn to pornography is because they want to escape from real difficulties of life. But we know that this isn't the best response. 
There are no wings of a dove, or there's no wings of an evil, or, or of an eagle. There's no wings on an airplane that can take us away from the sorrows of a heavy heart. In fact, there is no place where inward grief doesn't follow. And so we think it's natural to run when someone does us wrong. But friends, the pattern when someone has sinned against us is not to run away, but to know God's mercy and to endure and, if possible, reconcile. So when someone looks at you across the, from the worship center and you think they look at you in a wrong way, the right response is not to say, that's it, I'm out of here. I'm just going to find a new church body. Friends, if you think that's funny, that actually happened to us in this body in the last three years, twice. The right response is to let the power of God come to work in that relationship. Ideally, though, through loving that person enough to try and reconcile with them. That's not only true in relationships with people who worship God with us. Friends, that's also true of our marriages. It's true with our neighbors. The grace of God is greater than the sin that has been done to us or against us, and so we do not need to run. In many cases, God's word has given us very sufficient steps to try to restore those relationships. In, in David's case here, that's not what happened. David describes this situation like the worst storm to be in, like the worst hurricane that you can't leave out of town to get away from. And so friends, I think we need to see this morning, it is okay to cry out and to plea to God for mercy. The Psalms force us to address really the full gambit range of human emotions, right? Consider Psalm 55. Notice the strong emotional language that David's using. He's restless he, he, so much that he moans. And the feeling for him is worse than the kidney stones or a burst appendix. Okay, when you feel overwhelmed in life, we need to cry out to God, not hold it in and just hope that it goes away until it just bottles over and explodes. The way that we find rest in God is when we are putting our cares and our concerns on him and trusting him with the result. So what weight have you been carrying that you need to give to God this morning? What concerns about life or jobs or family or housing do you need to give to God and share with him your feelings and concerns and then exercise trusting him with the results? The Psalms give us an outline for doing just this. They give us words to the emotions that we need they force us to, to take off, you know, the, that churchy mask that, that, that says everything is happy and everything is awesome when we're part of a team, right? No, the Psalms make us take off that mask and be real with God. And so the Psalm calls us to be honest with what life looks like in a fallen world. But we also need to see that this isn't a hidden concern of David's. If you guys look at the beginning of the psalm, it says, to the choir master. Guys, they wrote a country song about David's situation. 
okay? Uh, it was put to music for the whole congregation. Scripture calls us to weep with those who weep. And part of the mercies of God that he gives us in really bad situation is God's own people to help bear the load with you. And so if you are facing those types of situations, friends, don't keep silent about it. Let us know about it so that we can help bear one another's burdens and sorrows. Share it with us so that we can go to the throne of God on your behalf in prayer too. Friends, there is no betrayal that is beyond the power of God to save us. And so we need to cast our burden on God because the secret to surviving close attacks isn't running away or vengeance, but instead entrusting God's delivering power. Let's look at this second part, David's attacker. This is verses 9 through 15, and then we're going to kind of hop over to verse 20 and 21 because it's, it's related. Here's, here's what it says beginning in verse 9 of Psalm 55. Destroy, O Lord, Divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is, its midst, is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. And then look at verses 20 and 21. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Friends, David's first cry is for God to hear his plea. And then David's second cry is for the attacks to stop. That they would not just stop, but they would stop and be ceased and destroyed not to come up again. And apparently it isn't only David being affected. The whole city is feeling the effects of this evil. Friends, I want you to know that you can both trust God and want evil to stop at the same time. Those are not counter ideals. Notice that it really is evil. In verse 15, it describes it as they eat and breathe and live among this evil. It is also in their heart. It is the very intention of their heart. And did you guys notice the surprise? The surprise is that it wasn't a warring nation. It wasn't the Philistines. It wasn't the Babylonians who were against King David. The surprise is that it was his friend. It was the one who he went to worship the Lord with. The one who is plaguing David with this. It was the person that David went to church with. 
It was his familiar friend. Look at verse 14 with me. He says, we used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Friends, if a relationship is sacred, shouldn't it be those who we go to church together with? The strongest bonds we have should be with those who we share the Lord's Supper together, who we don't just stare at a sing, or screen singing praises, but those who we pray for, those who we are in the trenches of ministry with, those who also sacrifice their income and give for the ministry of the church so that God's name would be glorified through our, our, our mutual work together. It should be those who we open God's word together and support one another. Friends, it wasn't an open foe, it was a pretend friend. Betrayal from someone whom you've entrusted with secrets and with hurts are worse than any arrow from an enemy. And so when someone whom we know and trusted is the source of the attack, Friends, those are the worst darts to the heart. Arrows from those whom we have shared our hearts and trusted with us, those arrows cut most deeply. And they are often placed because that person is acquainted with the areas where we might feel vulnerable. And so they know how to speak and do the most damage. Friends, let us hear the call that we should not be someone who betrays others. If you have ever had a falling out with someone, it is a gracious thing to not spill their secrets of others. Think of what Proverbs 11 says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps the thing covered. Don't don't air out someone else's dirty laundry as a means of revenge or to make them feel how you have felt. Friends, make our relationships together not a divided community, but a unified body on a mission for the praise of God all over the earth. And so division among a body of believers really only belittles the gospel that saves us. Displaying the greatness of our God comes in how we love one another. Right? Isn't that what Jesus said to his disciples in John 13, 35? The world will know that you're my disciples, not by how you vote, not by what you wear, not by when you gather, but by how you love one another. So do the hard work of maintaining relationships in unity, and see how God is at work in one another's lives. Friends, do you realize David is not the only one who was betrayed? Jesus was betrayed by Judas, whose feet he washed, who he dipped bread with. And Jesus was betrayed by Peter, who said that he would die for Jesus, only to simply deny him later. So when you have been betrayed, friends, I want you to know you're not alone, but you're in really good company. You're in the company of King David. You're in the company of King Jesus. 
And so when you have been betrayed, don't give up hope, but look to Jesus who was tempted in every way that we were, but did not sin. That's why we read Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence, the writer of Hebrews says, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christ in his humiliation, who was despised and rejected by men, betrayed by his own, who was made sin for people so that we would be made the righteousness of God through him. So when you've been betrayed, continue to trust the Lord with the outcome. Jesus was betrayed to death, worse than David here, and yet it was the plan of God to rescue the lost. Jesus, who was to suffer our punishment, to pay our debt, and to ransom us, he was, he was the one who's been betrayed beyond anything we have ever experienced. And so when you are betrayed, friends, you don't have to run. You also don't have to retaliate. Vengeance is God's, not yours. And so the ultimate hope in the Psalms is, the realize, is realized in the finished work of Christ. The Psalms call us to hope in God and they exhort us to rest in what Christ has accomplished on the cross and in the tomb. There's no other place in which we can find ultimate rest. And so when you're betrayed, look to Christ. It isn't pretending as if betrayal doesn't happen, right? It's, it's not putting on rose-colored glasses and saying, I only see joy, I only have a smile on my face. No, it's, it's not pretending like it didn't happen. It's only that it can be endured through Christ and his power. And so then it's picked, this, this is picked up again in verses 20 and 21. He says, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. This former ally, this former confidant, this former accountability partner, this, formal, this former gospel partner, knew what he was doing and it was planned and it wasn't by accident. Their fellowship had been tender and confidential. He was at one point very trusted. And while his words in public seemed supportive, even good at times, the plans and the schemes were war and drawn swords. Soft and smooth and oily, words are most abundant when truth and sincerity are scarcely existent. The oiliest of words will be when truth and sincerity are like a parched desert. 
I remember well. One time a, a, a letter was read before a congregation that I served, and the letter basically went like this. Everything at our church is awesome except for Brian. Literally, that's how it went. Uh, it, it targeted at me by a lady who that very week was trying to set up playdates with my wife and kids. So friends, let this be a call for us that our words should be genuine, but not deceitful. Brothers and sisters, God has made us for so much more than that. He has given us his spirit that indwells us to live lives that reflect the love of God. Our words and our lives are to reflect Jesus going to the cross for us. Right? That's why Paul write to the, wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 4. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. But what are we to do? Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Friends, we can be certain that if our words are not building up the body, that we are living by the flesh and not by the Spirit of God. And so if our words reflect deceitful scheming, if we are not speaking the truth in love or growing into Christ, friends, our words need to be helpful, not destructive. Our words need to be life-giving, not life-consuming. Christians should be building up the body, not destroying and dividing it. And so if people want to avoid talking to you because of things that you say, but you just justify it because you say, well, that's just who I am, or I just have strong opinions. Friends, I think we are at that point letting those opinions take precedence over people in the body. Relationships within the body are more important than any secondary issue. Let me say that again. Relationships in our body are more important than any secondary issue. And so let us make every effort to maintain the unity of the body in the bonds of peace. Let us speak the truth in love. Let us grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ whom the whole body is held together and joined with him by every joint with which is equipped and so that when we are all working properly that the body grows as we build ourselves up in love. Friends, cast your burden on God because the secret to surviving close attacks isn't running or vengeance, but trusting in God's delivering power. Let's look at this last part, our trust, David's hope here, uh, beginning in verses 16, and, and we're going to skip 20 and 21, but, but go through the end. Here, here's what it says. But I call to God, and the Lord 
will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from old, because they do not change and they do not fear God. And then look at verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. But I will trust in you. Friends, if running isn't the answer, if vengeance isn't the answer, well, what do we have left to do? Both of those responses assume that there is no other help, right? Sometimes you cannot run. Sometimes you cannot change the circumstances that you face. But friends, we are never alone in the circumstances that we face. God is always able to help. So look at how many times David goes to God. Look, look, look just in this last section, in verse 16, I call to God. In verse 17, I utter my complaint and he hears my voice. Verse 22, cast your burden on the, on the Lord. Verse 23, but I will trust in you. David is not up a creek without a paddle. David isn't alone. Again and again, David casts his confidence and his hope and his trust in the Lord who delivered his people time and time again. Notice in verse 16, he calls to God, to the Lord, to Yahweh, the God who made a covenant with his people to be with them and to redeem them. That is the God that David calls to. David is calling upon the God who rescued Israel out of the slavery in Egypt because of his covenant with Abraham. David is calling upon the God who led them through the wilderness and sustained them for 40 years. David is calling upon the covenant-keeping God who brought them to the promised land. David is calling upon the God who chose them out of all the people of the earth. David is calling upon the God who would ultimately send Jesus to redeem and guarantee that all who would turn from their sin and place their trust in Jesus would be redeemed and beloved by God forever with him. David has confidence that the Lord that Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, will save. So friends, on the day of your distress, who will you call out for? I'm afraid that when trouble comes, we will often let the songs of the world dictate our response more than the songs of Scripture. Right, I, I, I'm really serious about this. I think that instead of singing Psalm 55, I think we sing a country song. I think that we have to go get our Louisville slugger to go get revenge, to put out both headlights. Friends, I'm afraid that when trouble comes in our lives, we sing the songs of the world, but not the songs of scripture that God has given us. 
There isn't a country song out there with a better redemption ending in what we have than what we have in the Bible. I'm not trying to hate on country songs, okay? I'm afraid that when trouble comes, many of us won't know who to call out for because we've spent our whole lives assuming that we have always known God but have never pursued him in faith. And so the things of this world are empty in their ability to save. Money cannot escape death. Power goes away. Pleasure doesn't last or redeem. Only God saves. Only our covenant-keeping God saves. So don't give up crying out to God when you are suffering. It isn't where you put God on a 90-day trial basis to see if he's helpful or not. David doesn't pray one time and think, well, God already knows it. No, he continually goes before the Lord three times a day. Well, I eat three times a day, but, but are we willing to petition God three times a day for a situation? The three periods chosen are so fitting to begin the day crying out to God, to continue the day crying out to God, to end the day casting our cares upon God who has supreme wisdom. Friends, cast your burden on God because it is a burden he can carry, but we cannot. And why do we continue to cry out to God? Because the Lord saves. Look at David's confidence in our passage. In verse 16, the Lord will save me. In verse 18, he redeems my soul in safety. In verse 19, God will give ear and humble them. In verse 22, he will sustain you. In verse 23, you, O God, will cast the enemy down into the pit of destruction. God cries out, or David cries out to God, because Yahweh, the Lord, saves. People think that religion is simply for the weak-minded. It's not. Christianity is for all who have found themselves guilty and found that the God of the universe forgives. Christianity is for everyone who has ever done something wrong, who has ever needed forgiveness and redemption. Christianity is for the desperate. Jesus is mighty to save, and he does. Think of what Jesus says in John chapter 10. So, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bears witness about me. But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand i and the father are one so christian we are secure in the hands of god and so you do not need to worry about those who turn against you 
There's also a warning here, isn't there? Those who plot and live out evil will know the powerful hand of God that brings justice, but will not know his mercy. Friends, do you notice the description of those who receive God's justice? God will humble those who refuse to change and do not fear God. And so if you are someone unwilling to follow the Lord, God does not exalt that. Actually, God gives grace to the humble, but it is those who exalt themselves that he is against. Friends, come know the mercy of God by coming to God in repentance. Come and know the wonderful grace of God who says that his sheep hear his voice and he will never let someone snatch them out of his hand. Come and know the grace of God who says you can trust him in every situation that you face. Friends, cast your burden on God because the secret to surviving close attacks isn't running, it isn't vengeance, it is trusting in God's delivering power. You know, music has a way of capturing emotions that we can't usually express in any other form. Think about some of your favorite songs, right? There's a reason why when someone gets dumped right before their senior prom, what do they do? They listen to depressing songs while they eat a bucket of ice cream. Likewise, I've never seen a group of guys who are lifting weights to the melodic sounds of splashing water and chirping birds. No, music is powerful. That is why God has captured the full range of human emotions in a songbook that we call the Psalms. And the Psalms are a collection of these enduring songs that express all sorts of emotions of those who trust in the Lord. So in distress, go to God. He saves. He upholds his people. And friends, in, dis- in distress, Come and sing the songs of hope in God, not the defeated songs of the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we need you. There is not an hour of the day when we do not need your sustaining grace. God, we pray when we have been the people that David writes about in Psalm 55. God, would you make us not to be like David's enemies, but those who speak the truth in love, who work for the building up of the body together. God, when we are the people who have been attacked or betrayed. May we not try to find vengeance. May we not try to run and escape the pains of the world. Lord, help us to trust in you because you save. God, you're faithful to do that. You will never abandon your people. Help us to know that. Help us to trust you at every turn of our lives. We pray all this in the matchless 
powerful name of Christ. Amen.